Please open your Bibles, if you have one, to the book of James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1, you'll find the uh, notes this morning's message in the bulletin. If you don't have a Bible, you'll find the text on the back of the notes. And we continue our study this morning through the epistle of James in the second of a three-part section, tightly linked together. James, chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. I'd like to begin our time by reading all of those verses, then we'll have a word of prayer, and then we will begin. James chapter 1, 19 to 27. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Lord God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Guard us from the danger of being hearers only. Give us the grace and the conviction to be doers of your word. We would receive that blessing. We don't want to be part of a false, worthless religion, but we we desire religion that is pure and undefiled before your sight. So, Lord God, instruct our minds, motivate our hearts, and cause us to be those effectual doers. In Jesus' name, amen. So the relationship of this three-unit chunk ties back to the three what-we-must-be's that we looked at last week. So verse 19 begins a section. We see the the markers that James will frequently use, the plural, my brothers, which, of course, can be translated my brothers and sisters, with an imperative. So know this, my beloved brothers. And so we got a marker for a new section. And what we need to know, we learned, is that it is necessary for every one of us to be three things. As children of the word, we need to live and bear the character of our Father in heaven. And so we must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's the flow of this. This section is still linked to what came before. If you look back at verse 18, he introduced the topics demonstrating that God only gives good gifts. He doesn't give bad gifts. And one of the gifts on example is this. Of his own will, he brought us forth. He birthed us by the word of truth. 
that we should be kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so then the logic is, my brothers and sisters, those of you who are born again of God's word, know it is necessary for each and every one of us to be these three things, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then he addresses each one of those three it-must-be's in each of the following sections. So last week we saw he addressed anger. This week it's hearing Next week in verse 26, it'll be speaking and bridling the tongue. He addresses all three. So this morning we're looking at hearing, but it still links with what came before because he ended the last section we looked at last week with the charge that because our anger does not produce the righteousness of God, human anger, fleshly anger, yes, there is a place for righteous anger. It's probably a lot less common than we think. But it's very true. Jesus expressed it. Paul tells us in Ephesians, be angry and do not sin. But the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Therefore, he says, eschew, cast off all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And with meekness, receive the implanted words. Notice the progression. First, it's the word of truth that birthed us. Now it's the implanted word. He wants us to receive it. Well, as he discusses hearing, he's developing that thought. Receiving the word means more than simply taking possession of a parcel. You may think of the postman coming and they deliver, you receive the package, and it could sit on your front table for weeks, right? That's, that's not what James has in view. So this, in the ESV begins, but is qualifying receiving. So as it begins to move on to hearing, the thought is still synthetic. It's still developing. We receive the word, but make sure that receiving is a certain type of receiving. That's the, that's the flow of the logic here. And now, in verses 22 to 25, we hit one of the taproot themes of the book of James. James's insistence, again and again and again, that true faith must be accompanied by, must be evidenced by, works. He spends most of chapter 2 on this topic. You know that. And here he introduces it. He's echoing the teaching of Jesus. He's not saying anything new or original. And it's important for us to get this. He warns us of a danger of being hearers only and the danger of self-deception. Which means if you're self-deceived, you generally don't know you're self-deceived. So... This is a word for all of us. We're going to look at hearing and doing. Now let's look at it in three points. The command, the first illustration, and the second illustration. Let's look first at the command. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Now, I'm trying to bring out some of the verbal force of the Greek text. So you'll get this really awkward English blank here. (coughs) You all must be becoming doers of the word. The Greek word ginomai most naturally means to become. And I didn't want to just say you all must become because then it might imply you're not. You're speaking to people who aren't. But the idea is growing, showing yourself to be more and more become. There's two becomings, in fact, in this passage. You're either going to be becoming more and more of a doer of the word or more and more of a forgetful hearer. Those are the two directions you'll be molded into. And so pardon the awkward English, but you, you all must be becoming doers of the word. Show yourselves more and more to be is the idea. So it's not assuming he's talking to people who aren't doers. Rather, he's telling these people birthed of the word. These people he's already told to persevere in their trials, to ask for wisdom. 
Now I want you, to, you need to, after receiving the word, do it. Okay? This is point one here, A1, what it means to receive the word. He's, he's qualifying receiving. And again, this, this is not a new concept. Um, frequently, in the Gospels, Jesus says, whoever has an ear to hear, let him hear. And it means, of course, everyone's hearing him. Everyone's audibly hearing the, the voice. But hearing him means something a bit more. Let me read a few of the Proverbs to you to make this point clear. Proverbs 2, 1 to 5. My son, if you receive my words... So there's receive. Now what does the, the, the author of Proverbs connect with receiving? If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The author of Proverbs has got a pretty robust understanding of receiving his word. It's not this passive, I take the package, okay. It's receiving it. Think of like a wedding reception. It's more, I think, the, if you want to, more the idea. Really embracing something. Celebrating something. Um, let me read to you one other um, proverb. Proverbs 10.8. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. And, of course, John 1, right? He came to his own. His own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So receiving God's word, rightly understood, is doing it, hearing and doing, processing it and then applying it. That's, that's the idea. If you're, if you're not doing it, you haven't really heard. You certainly haven't received it as you ought. Okay? So that's why he links his thought. The danger, then, is that you must all not become hearers only. Hearers only. Here he actually echoes some of Paul's thought. In Romans 2, um, chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes this, It is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. There's a perennial danger in thinking that because you're sitting under teaching, because you're hearing things, because you know things, you're good. The Jews thought simply hearing the law read, we have the law, we're justified, we're good. And the danger for us is likewise that we think that hearing things equates to some declaration about our standing. The word for hearer only, I'll read to you what uh, Edmund Hebert writes. Hearers implies public reading or oral instruction. Among the Greeks, it was a common term for a person who were attendants at a lecture but not disciples of the lecture. They were hearers who in life did not follow the given instruction. He goes on to say you could call them auditors. Anyone here ever audited a class in college? You sit in, but nothing's required of you. The teacher's never going to say, hey, where's your homework? You can come and go as you please. You're auditing. He goes on to write this. If all who are auditors of the word on Sunday would put it into practice during the week, what a difference that would make. So the danger is only auditing truth. In chapter 2, James is going to talk about orthodox demons who believe that God is one. They just don't act on it. Here, the danger is just in hearing. Just in hearing. Oh, back up in point A. In in teaching this, again, I, I mentioned already, he is echoing Jesus' earthly teaching. You remember our study through Luke's gospel, right? Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord? 
and not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, see the connection of hearing and doing, I will show you what he is like. Now, Jesus has a different word picture. James has got his own word picture. We'll see about a mirror. Here's what a house builder. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood arose, the stream broke out against that house and could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke out against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So Jesus, this, is, this was an emphasis of Jesus. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me Master and not act like I'm your Master? And then he talks about hearing and doing and the folly and the peril of hearing only. So James is, again here, dependent upon repeating, echoing his older half-brother Jesus' teaching. This is not a unique emphasis for him. You all must not become hearers only. Now, it's interesting. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 7. I just read to you in Luke where Jesus teaches this, but turn to Matthew 7. James does turn this emphasis to a slightly different point. Jesus warns about being a hearer only. And your blank is here. Jesus warns about the danger of destruction. Jesus, I think, is looking full length eschatologically. What is the end fate of one who hears only. And that never changes, that never alters. They're just a hearer. They're just a professor, but not a doer. At the end of his Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' broad, general teaching to the crowds and the masses, he says this. Let's pick it up in 7.15. You'll notice the consistent theme here. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree produces, bears good fruit, and the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good fruit, um, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit, but good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. They got a profession. They got an orthodox profession. They're calling Jesus Lord. They do it twice. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built this house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built the house on sand and the house fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I'm turning back to James now, but I want you to see Jesus makes this a rather large point. In fact, that passage in Matthew is one of two texts that God used to bring me to salvation by showing me I was self-deceived as James warns. I thought I was a believer back in my you know, early 20s and late teens. I had no fruit. 
I had nothing but thorns in my life. But I knew some stuff, and I'd heard some stuff, and every now and then I'd feel convicted about some stuff, so I was good, right? Jesus corrects that. James corrects that error. So Jesus warns about the danger of destruction. I mean, he, the terrifying picture of showing up at the judgment and literally being deceived into thinking, well, you're surprised at his verdict. Lord, Lord, didn't we? I don't think they're bluffing. I don't think they're trying to lie. I think they really are deceived and confused. James doesn't focus as much on the danger of destruction as on the danger of self-deception. You can think of this more at the beginning of the process. If you start to become a hearer only, you're going to deceive yourself. Now that self-deception goes all the way to the end where you say, Lord, Lord, and you're really shocked and confused when he says, depart from me, I never knew you. So Jesus is looking at the end of this path, destruction, and James is warning about self-deception. You know, it's interesting. We think about the devil's out trying to deceive. Here, we're deceiving ourselves. There's something in our heart that wants to deceive us on this nature. He's going to give us some insight into that, so bear that in mind. We want, naturally, our sinful flesh wants to be deceived in this matter. We want to manufacture excuses for why you can say, Lord, Lord, not obey, and have it be true. Why you can hear things, not do things, and be just fine. I've heard plenty of good explanations for why it's okay. James warns about the potential of being self-deceived. Now, again, we're not talking about how one becomes a Christian. Back in James again, he's talking to people who, according to verse 18, were born again of the word. So God grants life. The blinders are removed. We see Christ. We reach out to him in faith. We embrace and we trust him. We are forgiven. We are adopted. We receive the Holy Spirit. And now, as God's first fruits, children of the word, it is necessary that we grow in the image of our Father. It is necessary that we become doers and not hearers only. So you don't become a Christian by what you do, but you demonstrate who and what you are by what you do. What you do reveals identity. What you do reveals destiny, but it doesn't determine it. It, it evidences it. Okay? we got to make that distinction clearly here. This is a message for Christians. This isn't about how you get saved by doing things. Rather, those who claim, I'm born of God, I've been born again, must be slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger. They must be doers of the word, be becoming more and more doers of the word, okay? So that's the, that's the warning is deception. And then he gives us an illustration. You could just leave it there just saying, hey, it's necessary. Don't do this, but do this. But he's going to give us two illustrations, two pictures. The one who hears only is like this, the one who hears and does is like this. So now let's look at the first illustration, the one who only hears. The one who only hears, verses 23 to 24. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Okay? So there's some interesting things here going on. The ESV translates natural face. The Greek is something like the face of his birth or genesis. And you press through that, and I think what it really means is you see yourself for who you really are. You see your natural, and I think that's the emphasis here, natural um, self, your carnal self, your who and what you are. He looks in the mirror, this man looks in the mirror, and he sees, and, 
And the text is clear. He understands what he sees. That's your, your next blank. He understands. He sees his natural face and understands. And that's clear. This is a perceptive look. His problem is not that he looks really quickly and doesn't get it. It's not that he, you know, he pictures somebody with a big glob of cream cheese on their mustache. And it might be that they look in the mirror on the way out and they just don't see it. Now, this, this, the point is this guy looks intently and he recognizes. He sees. He understands. James says it twice to make it clear. At the, uh, in verse 23, he looks intently. Verse 24, for he looks at himself. And really, the, the Greek verb here is this idea of considers, contemplates. Now, this, this guy understands what he sees. He sees who and what he is, naturally. He sees it. He gets it. Okay? But he doesn't like what he sees. And I think that's the, the idea here. The re, and the reason why I say that is this. We want to be self-deceived. He's going to go away and forget what he looks like. If what he looks like was beautiful, there'd be no reason to want to forget that. Most people, I mean, I, I know there are people, forget most people, I know there are plenty of people out there who will spend like half a day organizing the perfect selfie for their profile pic. They care very much about how they look. If you were pleased with how you looked, you'd be holding on to that. You wouldn't be quickly forgetting. You'd only want to quickly forget what you saw if what you saw was displeasing, Right? which ties into the notion of it's his natural face. This isn't who you are in Christ, declared a beloved child of God. Rather, this is who and what you are in yourself. Notice again, what he's seeing and getting and what he's forgetting is not God's word, it's himself. It's self-identity, it's self-deception. He comes to a mirror, he gets a good look, he understands, he doesn't like what he sees. He does not like what he sees And I think of the wording of Hebrews 4, I think the similar concept. Remember Hebrews 4, talking about God's word? The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You come to God's word, it lays you bare, it opens you up, it shows your inner being, it tells you who you really are. And in our natural self, that's not pretty. So this first man comes, and he looks intently, and he sees, and he understands, and he he deceives himself. He walks away, he goes away immediately, he goes away immediately, and forgets what he was like. It's not a slow process of forgetting. He, he want, and you, you know what this is like. Has anyone here not wanted to open a piece of mail, get a diagnosis from a doctor, and you don't want to think about it? You're afraid to look at your bank balance. We have within us, when there's going to be bad news, a desire to avoid it. This man looked in the mirror, didn't like what he saw, was alarmed by what he saw, saw something unpleasant, and decided rather to work on his self-esteem and quickly forget about that. That, that's, that's what's going on here. It's like a man who looked intently at his natural face. And it's ridiculous because if I looked in the mirror and saw a big glob of cream cheese right here, it may displease me to think I look that foolish. But how much more foolish than leave the mirror and walk away for everyone else to see it? Far better to take whatever time I need to do to clean my face. Maybe I got on my shirt, I got to change my shirt, comb my hair, whatever. But far better to do that than to walk around and everyone else can see. And I've forgotten that the cream cheese is there. It's not even that I think, oh, who cares? People can deal with it. I forget it's there. 
Now I'm walking around greeting people on Sunday morning. Hello, good to see you. And I get this big blob of cream cheese. And it's ridiculous and it's foolish. And in our hearts is the desire to do exactly this, to deceive ourselves. God's word tells us who we are. And some part of us doesn't want to hear that. Surely I can't be as bad as all that. Surely my problems can't be as bad as all that. It's just a little problem. <coughs> James deals with this later in chapter 4, remember? We want to talk about quarrels. Little fights, little quarrels. He talks about murder and war. It's just a little quarrel, just a little fight. It, James says, no, it's, it's murder, it's warfare. Because God's word reveals who and what we are. So he does not like what he sees, and he goes away and immediately forgets what he was like. And here the idea is this, that the forgetting is precisely how he deceives himself. That there are what the Old Testament calls high-handed sins. Sins where you look God square in the face, you know what you're doing, and you say, no. That's not what's going on here. Most professing Christians lack the guts and resolve to do that. They may be more honest in some sense if they did. Far better, if you want to appease your conscience, you want to be disobedient, but you don't want to harden your heart to the point of raising your fist and saying, no, it's simply to forget. So you see who and what you are. You learn something about yourself. God's word reveals it to you. You understand. It's not pleasant. If that's really the case, I'd probably have to do some things, change some things, act differently. Well, then, I just won't think about that. I'll go away, and I'll fly right out of my mind. It's dangerous. This is how self-deception happens. It's not a conscious, overt decision to fight God. It's just a, I really don't want to think about that right now. Thinking about that right now makes me feel kind of unhappy. I'll think about that tomorrow. think about that next week. Forgetting is how he deceives himself. Listen to, listen to Proverbs 4, 5. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. The, the author of Proverbs is equating forgetting with turning away. The two are joined together. Do not forget. Do not turn. And consequently, he forgets what sort of person he was. And that's, that's the idea of the Greek... He forgets who and what he really is. He's flattering himself. You want to think you're better than you are. I'm a sunbeam. I'm full of limitless potential. And there's a sense in which that's true. I'm also a worthless rebel against the God of the universe. In my flesh, on my own, in my natural face, I'm an object of wrath, object of disgust, I'm not a little sunbeam. I'm, I'm animated, rebellious dirt. And so are you. We don't want to think that. And my goodness, are there plenty of people in this world who will tell you something other than that? Who can sell you on why you want to feel great about yourself. So God's word reveals, cuts to the quick. We see our motives. Like, Man, I'm way more selfish than I thought I was. Man, I'm way more angry than I thought I was. Way more impatient than I thought I was. I thought I was doing okay, and then I'm reading the word, and it's, nope. Well, what are you going to do? Are you going to change, or are you going to put it down and forget? That's, I think, what's going on here. He, he forgets the sort of person he was. 
book of Revelation gives us, I think, a vivid example of this. You remember the, the church, the Laodicean church, the lukewarm church? Listen now, Jesus um, dictates his letter, describes them. Revelation three fourteen to 17. To the angel, the church of Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you are either hot or cold. So because you're lukewarm and either hot or cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Therefore, you say, I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This church is self-deceived. And when you get self-deceived about yourself, it's usually thinking more highly of yourself. People usually don't get self-deceived and thinking they're worse than they are. These people who are lukewarm tell themselves and pat themselves in the back, we're rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. I'm sufficient. Got what I need. I'm rich. They don't realize that they are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. There's there's a picture of that self-deception at a church in Laodicea taking place. That's the danger. It's ridiculous. It's pitiable. And everyone who hears only and doesn't act is like this man who looks in the mirror. It's like the, it's like the drug addict or the, or the alcoholic who has a moment of clarity and they realize what a problem they have. But, of course, that knowledge brings with it a requirement to do something. And you don't want to do something. So what do you do? You don't think about it. I don't want to think about that again. That's, that's one path. This is self-deception immediately. According to Jesus, it leads to destruction ultimately. You must not do that. Let's look at the second illustration, the positive example. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing Well, now we get some insight. I've already assumed the answer, but the mirror we see is God's word. In the first illustration, the guy's looking in the mirror here, the illustration gets sort of removed in part. He just tells us, okay, the mirror's the the word. He, He uses an interesting title, The Perfect Law, The Law of Liberty. And this shows a development in his thought. Remember, back in chapter 1, verse 18, it was the word of truth. Then, it was in verse 21, the implanted word. Word of truth, the implanted word. Here, then, he calls it the perfect law, the law of liberty. I think he calls it that because as a law, he's thinking of the word as rules, something that directs conduct, which, of course, fits with this notion of doing. By no means is, I think, he referring exclusively to the Mosaic law. Because it's this word of truth, this implanted word, is the very thing that birthed them. It probably even includes, for James's hearers, things that haven't been written down yet. As the word of truth that saved them was most likely the apostolic preaching of the gospel. It would become recorded, but the verbal proclamation of Christ's death on the cross for our sins, his resurrection, for us, make no doubt, for us, it is the Bible, But for James, it would include also the preaching and the teaching of the apostles. And he calls it the perfect law, the law of liberty. And I I think here, even to some degree, he's he's challenging, correcting some of the reasons why we might want to put it down and look away. 
if, if you don't like what you see in a mirror and you don't want to deal with it, you can start to blame the mirror. Mirror must be twisted, warped. No, he says the perfect law. If, it, if you don't like what you see when you open God's word, it's not a problem in the mirror. It's perfect. It's perfectly and accurately revealing you and your heart. And rather than constraining you, oh, I see what I look like, and now I realize I've got to go comb my hair, and I've got to wipe the cream cheese off my face, and I've got to, got to do all this stuff. He calls it a law of liberty. And I, and I think the reasoning is that as, as created beings, we're not autonomous. We're made, and we have purpose. We have telos. Doesn't it make sense that only as you understand who and what you really are can you act and live in an according way, in an appropriate way? It's freeing to know who and what you are. It's freeing to know what you need. I mean, there's a sense in which being deceived, there's a freedom, but there's also a sense in which being deceived is slavery, right? Thinking you're one thing when you're really another. Trying to act like you're one thing when you're really another. No, James insists this, this word is perfect, it's a guide to our conduct, and it frees rather than enslaves. The mirror is God's word. Now notice also, this man also comprehends his natural face. He doesn't state it, but I think by clear implication, the same thing happens. So if you want to take the metaphor, two people look at a mirror, see who and what they are like, and understand. Insofar, we're, we're on the same page. I don't think there's any implied contrast between the mirror and God's word. No, no. The difference is both hear, one hears and obeys, one just hears. So, the one who looks intently in the perfect law, the law of liberty, the mirror is God's word, this man also comprehends his natural face. So for both, they learn something about who they are as God's word reveals their hearts, their motives, their being. Here's the contrast. He perseveres, he remains, he abides being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Here's, here's the difference. He does not forget, but does the work. He does not forget, but does the work. And those are the two contrasts. Negatively, the, 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 the fool, in this metaphor, forgets. That's what he does. And this man perseveres and does. Literally, you could translate it, does the deed or works the work. Um, he does not forget, but does the work. And so I just challenge you this morning and every time you encounter God's word, um, when, you, when, you're, when you're convicted, to decide to remember what you see and to decide to act accordingly based on what you see. Um, you're, it's going to be, you'll forget so quickly. If you postpone, if you say, oh, I'll think about that. One of my prof- professors at college used to say, um, there's no more dangerous place to be than thinking about repenting. There's no more dangerous place to be than considering, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Your conviction will never be greater. Your clarity of thought will never be greater. Your remembrance and your understanding of who you are will never be greater than when the word confronts you. Decide then who and what you want to be, what you want your end to be. And act. God is kind. He doesn't reveal all of our corruption all at once as bad as you may feel when sometimes you read the word like man i'm way worse than i thought i was god has not shown you the half of it he hasn't shown me the half of it but like a loving father he shows us portions areas shines light on where he wants us to grow and change 
And we, we need to persevere, not flinch away, not forget, but do the work. Jesus, again, says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So you flip that negatively. If you don't keep Christ's commandments, I don't care how many tears you cry at the worship service. I don't care what feelings you get welling up inside of you when you think of him. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you don't keep his commandments, guess what? Jesus says you don't love him. John 14, 15. But we've, we've created whole theologies that separate obedience from faith. James will deal with that directly in chapter 2. But here, he doesn't forget, but he does the deed. And he also, and I'm adding this in, I think, to fill in the psychology, he does not flatter himself, but commits himself. You see, one of the challenges of the Christian faith is receiving God's testimony about who and what you are. One of the reasons why unbelievers struggle with the gospel is, doesn't the gospel say, you deserve wrath? You're guilty. We want to be in the judge's booth. We got questions for God. Why does God let this happen? Why does God let that happen? If you're to become a Christian, you've got to get in the dock. You've got to let God be the judge and you be the one examined. Instead of saying, hey, God, you better explain these things to me. Rather, God says, here's what you've done. Here's what I've commanded. You can't become a Christian without letting God reveal who and what you are and to some level accepting that, accepting his testimony. And as Christians, we've got to keep doing that. Keep letting God describe who and what we are. And when our little excuses and our self-deceptions get blasted by God's word, rather than retreating and forgetting, and it's not as bad as all that, you, you accept it, you don't flatter yourself, and then you commit and submit yourself to him. This is the basis of Jesus' command in Luke 9.23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself disown himself, distance himself from himself, and take up his cross and follow me. The choice will be defending ourselves. We're saying, yes, you're right. That's one more part of me that needs to be mortified, that needs to die, that I need to crucify daily. Yep. And that's what your Christian life will be. I mean, there'll be other parts of it as well, but from now to glory, God is going to be revealing corruption in you and in me the intense us to change and grow in. And so again and again, we can chew that. I don't want to think that. I don't want to know that. I want to forget that. Or, no, that, if that's who you say I am, then that's who I am, and that needs to change. He does not forget, but does the work. He does not flatter himself, but commits himself. And then we get the blessing. He'll be blessed in his doing. Now this is James' second beatitude. It's his second beatitude Jesus gave numerous beatitudes. James, I think, has two, which suggests possibly this is even an inclusio, a section. But remember back in uh, verse 12 of chapter 1, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Why? For when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So the first beatitude, the first blessing James offers is for those who persevere in trial and testing. Well, this blessing here is pretty similar, right? Blessed is the one who hears and does. And again, this is just echoing what Jesus said. Luke eleven twenty eight. Remember, the, the woman cries out, Blessed is the womb that bore you. And Jesus responds, No. No, 
Rather, blessed are those who hear the word and keep it. That's exactly what Jesus said. Blessed is the one who hears and does and keeps it. Or John 13, 17. If you know these things, says Jesus, blessed are you if you do them. I don't know about you, but frequently when I know, when God's put his finger on some area of my life, when his word is exposed, some, oh man. I want the blessing before. Something like, hey God, if you could make me want to do that, and you can make it easier to do that, then I might do that. Maybe that's just me. James says, Jesus says, no, you'll be blessed in the doing. As you begin to try to obey, as you begin to put into practice what God has said, and you're aware of how hard that will be, and you're aware of how difficult that will be and how feeble you are, in that very act of attempting to be an obedient child, God's going to bless you. You're going to be blessed. The hardest part is considering obeying. The most dangerous place is considering to obey. But once you decide, no, no, that's who I am. That's the sort of person I am. Yep, Lord, you're right. And you begin to try to act and change, wipe the cream cheese off. Then, James says, you will be blessed. The blessing comes, is found in doing God's word. This is what it means to hear God's word. Some of us are here trying to hear and do. Some of us may be here auditing. Don't, don't audit. Be a doer. Be a doer. Receive the blessing that James puts out. Don't, don't deceive yourselves. This is something we need to be told again and again. Because, of course, when we are tempted to self-deception, precisely because it's deception, you don't know what's happening. This might be a good conversation to have with your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents. Do you see me doing what I'm reading? Do you see me putting into practice what I'm hearing? I've I've had times, I don't know about you, I've I've, I've sat in a sermon, got really convicted, done nothing, changed nothing, but told myself, and I'll remember, I felt really convicted when I held that sermon. And I'll look to that as some mark of growth. And I suppose it's better to be convicted than to be dead. But it's, it's a dangerous place to be, to think because you hear stuff, and even because when you hear things, you get convicted. Until you actually are willing to put it into practice, we'll see in chapter 2, you're, you're no different than a demon who believes God is one. The demons have got some orthodox theology. They just hate it, and they rebel against it. So let us be doers of the word and not hearers only. I'm going to call the worship team up for our closing song. And my ABF will reconvene here. We can talk more about this then. Please stand.